Live from the Satellite of Love, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. It's the not-too-distant future, and uh, somewhere in time and space, Nick and I are caught in a nasty place. I wish I knew more of the lines. <laughs> what lines? But, yeah, but this is, no, this is nice. I like, again, I like most places we go, except the what places they try to kill us. We're, but. we're on a space theme last several episodes. Yeah. So I, we'll see how long we I keep like that going. I like the sci-fi vibe. <laughs> you know, this is a little more um, it's a little, homemade. Uh, yeah, a little uh, I'm a little frightened that this might not <laughs> survive very long going around. You really shouldn't ask questions about how people eat and breathe up no, here. I you should really idea. just relax. Yeah. I well, I'll do that. I think I think this is a nice place. Um, I think there might be people around here, but the doors are closed, and it's like like they're in watching something at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well, they do seem to have a nice theater over there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of paraphernalia over here. I don't I don't get what's with the golf clubs in the one corner, and then like some some I don't know. Is this an ant farm? I don't know what this thing is. I don't know. It's just it's some strange little place. Yeah, like all kinds of odds and ends thrown together here. It looks like they might make good robot parts though. Yeah. I'll take that. Uh, I mean, we haven't we haven't really met me. Oh, well, Hal, but hopefully oh, yeah. it's not that all over again. Yeah, no, no, we don't want that. Yeah, but. hopefully they're friendly. And don't make fun of us. Um, but yes, welcome to another episode of Derailed Trains of Thoughts, where we talk about stuff and sort of hints that maybe you know what we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> so, Tim, shall we begin? Begin? What do we begin? Story school? Well, yes, yeah, story school. In story school, we talk about um, stories, and we try to bring out some educational aspects of them, partly not just to teach you, our listeners, as if we were some gurus, which we're not really. Nah, we just kind of like to talk. Yeah, I mean, we're the students as much as the teachers in some ways. It's a learning experience for all of us. Yes. So sometimes we do more philosophical things, but today we get very uh, nuts and bolts. Yeah. About what makes a story work? Well, I guess we both kind of came up with two different analogies for this. Either kind of what's the, your engine, what makes it run, or... The kind of the skeleton of the story. The, you know, the... The bare the, bones. The bare bones. Yes, thank you. So there, there are, you know, if you go to writing classes, they'll sometimes talk about various things that are kind of how you break down a plot. Mm -hmm. um, we'll just start with, like, the, they'll say, like, there's nine basic plots that... All, all stories fit into that all stories are basically the, the same story or almost the same story with different clothes. Now, where would you have heard about this, Nick? I would have heard about this on the end. No, from my uh, Dr. Hensley, my writing teacher at Taylor University, Fort Wayne. Ah, uh, yes. And I'm sure that sort of stuff happens in other writing classes. But mm, Sure. Um, and nine basic plots are very simple things like man versus man, which is, you know, war sort of stories or man versus nature, which is <laughs> twister sort of stories. Or natural disaster natural type disasters, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So would you say like the typical action story where you've got a villain that the hero is trying to go after, is that, would that fall in the, under the man that versus was, man category? That's my understanding. Basically, anytime it's just very, you know, people versus people in fighting or in chess or whatever. It's basically, I mean, most stories have some sort of man versus man. It doesn't, it's hard to exist 
otherwise. Unless it's the Revenant, I suppose. That is man versus nature. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which, which is, I guess there's also some man versus man in there, too, though, because I think he's after revenge, but still. Yeah. You, you, there's you, a lot yeah, of nature. Yeah. You know, Hatchet is man versus nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's man versus time. You know, you're sort of, um, you know, the bomb's going to explode. Oh, yeah. Sort yeah. of stuff. Or, you know, I got five days until this happens. or The countdown, like yeah. Groundhog Day. In some ways, yeah. In some ways, that, or, or uh, maybe, maybe that's not. a man versus fate type thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's that's true. Probably is more man versus fate, fate or God. I mean, uh, yeah. So yeah, the, it sounds like the plot idea is very nebulous. Like it's not necessarily a hard or fast rule. It's just basically man versus, and you know, all stories are basically at the very least conflict. Yeah, yeah. and so basically, just saying here are your main fill-ins for your antagonist, and you, you get a man versus self where you just you know. It's Dimmonsdale whipping himself sort of stuff. And I'm guessing you do a lot of mixing and melding of these things. And I mean, I think the the benefit to um, all these story engines, bare bones, and I'll just use the nine plots as an example, is that in reality, I'm not sure when you're writing, you're often thinking, I'm using plot number seven and plot number three. I mean, I don't I don't know many writers. Maybe some do. I I personally don't. Right. But it's good to, like, what, you're reading a book or watching a movie or TV show or something. Why do I like this so much? And then you can start breaking it down into its pieces and see if there's some combination that seems to work. And sometimes I think, obviously, if you have a story that has just one, it's usually a little flat or a little more simple than one that has two or three or four plots Going on top on. of each other. Yeah, because you don't want just it to be about a good guy versus a bad guy. Like, the good guy usually has some sort of, like, inner... Other thing that he's mm-hmm. trying to achieve, or is it, you know, is a versus a bad guy, but the bad guy also has a bomb, so it's versus time, and then you also have the internal conflict, and then you might have another versus man, like your partner's, you know, wisecracking or something. You right. Know. In that sense, these bare bones ideas are not just useful for the viewer for understanding why do I enjoy this, but I guess if you're writing and you're coming up with a part that you're struggling with, or you know, whether it's the generate plot or you just feel like it's become too flat, maybe that's a case where you need to look at some of these ideas and see, okay, what am I doing? What's going on in the story? And is there something missing that should be there? Yeah, I never quite thought about it this way, but really all it is is stories are a conflict. You need conflict. And it's just another way of saying, okay, here are ways you can make a conflict. Yeah. You know, in case you're having trouble, you know, like, oh, I hadn't thought about throwing society in there, man versus society, having not just, for you know, he's against the upper class or the lower class or the, you know, right. whatever. And I guess I came up with the the term story engine. I think I've heard that from one of the, the thing I've mentioned on the Lost podcast recently. Yeah. The one, one of the Lost writers who was talking about the early stage of development of the show. Basically, for like a TV show, they really needed, well, he, I think he termed, used the term engine. Basically, something to keep you know, week to week stories that come out plot, you know, problems that they would have to deal with. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's basically a conflict maker on a weekly hijack. We just finished season two of Lost, and mainly the hatch is a story engine. Yeah. I mean, just like, here's a thing. What do we do with it? You know? Yeah. You know, it's man versus mysterious computer. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) or the others, you know, or the other, and the two of them going, you know, the survivors have their own ideology or, you know, goals, just survival basically. Well, as the others have this cult like goal that they're trying to protect. I think I heard, I think it was Abrams said that, you know, if he was interested, just, uh, you know, survival story, you know, that's just one, that's really just one thing. So now you have survival 
and lots of craziness. And, and really, Lost really only did the survival story for the most part for the first season. There's a little bit sprinkled in the second season, but but and especially even after that, they've the survivors get into their own routine. For the most part, they don't deal with the uh, typical like so, nature stuff. So and, much conflict in every. I mean, there's no two people that can exist on the screen at the same time and not have some sort of conflict in that show. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's. I mean, maybe we should go to another thing: is um, character goals. Hmm. This is another way of, I guess, just making con- I mean, making. It's another story engine. Like, yeah. Okay, so I have this. I want to write a spy story. You need to have him have some sort of goal, and well, that's more MacGuffin. Actually, we'll go back to that. that. Yeah. But, you know, some sort of you know what what do I want in life? You know, when you play Dungeons and Dragons, you're like, what's my character? What's my motivation? You know, yeah. I want to re- avenge myself. I want to be a millionaire. You know, those sort of things that they always make you write, like Ryan Class, the the kind of dossier. Uh-huh. How do you say that? I don't know. Like their height and their air color and what they want, and you know, and they're and it's helpful if you're trying to get a hold of stuff. But I think. Again, like most story engines, when you're starting, you might start doing that. But once you get into it, it just kind of you just understand. I need conflict. I need I need to grok this character. <laughs> grok this character. Grok. I love the word grok, which is like to fully understand. It's from it's from. I think it was created by Heinlein in um, Stranger in Strange Land. Okay, but I, and I know that's a very key component of. Uh I remember reading about the classic Hollywood style of movies, mm-hmm. like they're talking pre-1960s. Basically, it's saying that a goal-driven protagonist was always a kind of a key. Like, you didn't ever want, like, kind of a wimpy character as your lead or someone who just, like, yeah, whatever. In other words, Obed would not fit in well with no. the classic Hollywood movie. Or Hamlet. <laughs> yeah, or Hamlet, <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, that's... Those are completely different types of things, and they're almost anti-heroes in some ways because your hero wants something, and the conflict is that things stop them. You know, that's the traditional hero goal obstacle. Right. The thing, funny thing is, someone like Hamlet is probably more accurate to real life. You know, because mm-hmm. we him and haul about our own decisions all the time, yeah. but. You know, especially in a, a traditional escapist Hollywood type movie, you want someone who knows what they want and is going to pursue it. Do whatever they want. It, it, it's sort of, uh, you know, you're living through that person's adventures or escapades or, you know, triumphs. And there's something very um, compelling about a character who knows what they want. Yes, that is true. And that makes strong characters, you know, because you're like, yes, he's getting, you know, the ones people get annoyed with character-wise tend to be either the ones that have a goal that just drives you nuts. Walt, he's my boy. He's my boy. <laughs> Walt. Yes, we have referenced Lost for 30% of this podcast so far. <laughs> um, or the ones that, you know, they keep ch- switching. like, or, or they're just single, you know, like the Walt thing. My, my common one is always like, I just don't trust you, Clark. <laughs> you know, that's how I bring that up a lot. But, okay, so, you know, so we have the conflicts with this plot, story mm-hmm. engine. And then we have kind of the, the motivation. And then we have the MacGuffin. Ah, yes, the MacGuffin. Which so define is, this for us. Well, this is a term I believe Hitchcock coined for basically the MacGuffin is this uh, mysterious something that the hero wants, the antagonist wants, and everyone's trying to get this thing. Hitchcock would argue that a MacGuffin in its, well, I don't know if he would say this, but from my, my understanding, MacGuffin in its purest sense, it hardly even matters really, like government secrets. You don't have to explain what those government secrets are. You just know, okay, this computer file has a thing that has all this important information out and we're going to do everything to stop it. I think in um, 
Mission Impossible 3, the MacGuffin is called the rabbit's foot. And they never even bother explaining what the rabbit's foot is. It's just like, it's a rabbit's foot. We want it. They want it. It's, it's the pure, I mean, there's a pure MacGuffin. And I think the problem is that shows in some ways when your story engine's too, you know, the bare bones are too, you can see them. Yeah. People start calling foul. Pretty much. Or, or, or not always. I mean, you can get away with it cleverly. But when the MacGuffin feels like it doesn't matter, you better have something else. Yeah. Well, and I think Mission Impossible 3 does have a bit. I mean, I know Tom Cruise in that movie is trying to protect his wife, which is a, a weird thing for a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. It's the only time they did that, I think. That's an Abrams thing. Yeah, I suppose <laughs> so. <laughs> but so, you know, there's that. There's a personal connection there. But yeah, it's not necessarily... You don't tend to have MacGuffins in movies that have a great deal of internal conflict. No. I mean, you may have something very understated, like Indiana Jones is after the Lost Ark, which is kind of a MacGuffin, but he's also like trying to protect history. I mean, so he has his motivations for seeking Yeah, besides just, it's a thing. Let's get, I mean, yeah, (laughs) uh, like some old school cartoons have very much have the MacGuffin like. I suppose so. You know, we have to protect this. No laser won't let you. You know, sort of thing. (laughs) Um, you know, and it doesn't, it's just ridiculous. Right. You know, well, card, cartoons, especially like say your Looney Tunes stuff, boil these ideas down to like just the, you know, man versus man, bunny versus hunter. Exactly. <laughs> it just, and that's it. Yeah. That's, that's all you it. need. Yep. I wonder sometimes, and maybe it's not the same thing as MacGuffin, but you know, some of those, uh, those shows that are basically just about the characters, like the mystery, like, um, psych. Okay. Or mystery. shows like that. You know, the mystery shows that. I mean, the mystery is almost a MacGuffin just to hang character interactions on sometimes. <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. It's I don't like, know if that's a proper terminology for it. Yeah, I don't know. If, I wouldn't call it a MacGuffin because I think the, MacGuff, the idea of the MacGuffin it's is that it's item. a specific ob- object. Although I remember joking, when we, we joked about uh, The Force Awakens that apparently Luke Skywalker was the MacGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even get him at the end. I mean, we get him, but yeah. that's about it. We, we just see him. Exactly. When probably in this Rogue One, the MacGuffin will be the Death Star plans. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so. So, yeah, I, I think it's always an object, but sort of what you're talking about is sort of like a separate plot engine than what most people watch the show for. I mean, obviously, if people didn't like the mystery, they'd just drop yeah, but the, the mystery. I mean, they have to be interesting, but they don't, they're not really the central. That's what's moving the pieces so the pieces can have fun. Right, yeah, that's probably true. So it I, is an engine. I'd be curious how many, like, I'm, I'm sure there's some hardcore mystery fans that, like, really delve into, like, the the clues and the, the putting things be, together. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm curious what they would, like, would they discriminate against the lighter fair mystery stuff or they just enjoy that as yeah, another part of the genre? That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I have to ask, dig into one of those communities. Now, now I haven't watched them enough for the new superhero shows, but do they have, do they have MacGuffins? Uh, sometimes. A lot of them seem to be... Or, or it's more, I guess here's another... Uh, sorry, I interrupted you completely. Go ahead. But... Another version of the story engine is the monster or villain of the week. <laughs> yes. And in that sense, unfortunately, I, I mean, I enjoy a lot of the current superhero shows. A lot of them feel disappointingly procedural to me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, procedural being your cop shows that basically there's there's kind of a pattern that they follow well, each time. I, I suppose procedurals, why they're procedurals is because you can see the bone so well. I mean, well, people know they're, they're, the, they're the same structure every time people know generally what to expect the, sto- the story engine is you and, know, pretty much set and you just dress it up different every day and you can Potato head. even the superhero shows will disguise that with a lot of superhero trappings i yeah. mean the flash will have time travel and all kinds of crazy superpowers yeah 
I wouldn't say that it's completely predictable each time, but most of the DC shows, I feel, have a more familiar beats to them than, like, say, Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. And this is just, and it pays me to say this because I'm much more of a DC fanboy than Marvel, but I can't predict what Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to do S.H.I.E.L.D.'s from week insane. To week. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I agree from the ones that I have not seen a lot of DC, but it does seem like they're they're safer, they're more... I don't know predictable is the right word, but yeah, it's hard to say, but yeah, more procedural ish. And sometimes like, like I just watched the Supergirl season finale recently and I mean, there's some good moments in there, but then part of me was, I don't know. It, it's just one of those shows that like I can see the outlines or like, there's like, okay, you're doing one of these, like, okay, they had a mind control thing. And of yeah. course they all, they also had the time when like, no, I know you're still in there. You can fight this. And I was like, it makes sense, but I've seen this in like every single mind control yeah. story I've ever seen. So, so I guess maybe we should. We're getting a little off track. No, no, I think you're right. But let's. I mean, then you start going to tropes. Oh yeah. And stereo, you know, at some point because certain story engines work so well, they've been done. We've been done a times. lot of time. Then it's. Uh-huh. I don't. What do you do about that? I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with the trope per se. Not in and of itself. No. Yeah, it's a matter of. I mean, the manner of owning it. Yeah, sometimes it's a matter of owning it. Like, say, like we said with Doctor Who this season, they they owned that they had a paradox in one of their episodes. They, <laughs> oh, man, that was a great... They literally winked to the audience <laughs> and said, we're just having fun with this. Yeah. So in, th- in cases like that, that's great when you can just acknowledge it. Other cases, I don't know, if you can... You know, most storytelling is still recreating. You're, you're yeah. bringing something, a new spin on old ideas. I mean, yeah. that's that's par for the course, and we've talked about that before. But uh, if you can do it in a new way, use a, tr- a similar trope in a new way that's still moving the story forward, but usually maybe surprise people. I guess, I guess then that's the downside. I mean, the upside to all these sort of story engines is that gives you a, you know, a way to start, a way to amp it up, or a way to fix things or a way to, you know, make things work. But mm-hmm. I guess the downside then is if you don't integrate them or, or layer them well, they just become... Stale. They're, you know, they become derivative as opposed to... Yeah, when you say... It sounds horrible when you say every, there's basically nine plots and all the stories are just retellings. But in actuality, there's a lot of stories we all love. And they don't all feel, you know, just because there's one, Star Wars doesn't mean that, you know, Basketball Galactica and Star Trek and Battle 5 aren't also good. Sure. Even though they have a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it has to do with the, on the meat you put on it, the costumes you make it wear. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I mean, even in a visual medium, especially, the uh, design of the world is, you know, that that can be very unique. If you have good art designers, yeah. if you have a good cinematography, you know, you can fashion your own look for a world. And that, in some ways, that helps the familiar storytelling or the fami- some of these ideas we've been talking about, the yeah. familiar elements, helps them pop a little bit more. Or in some way, maybe that's not the word I'm looking for. Maybe it, rather, it helps the viewer feel more adjusted to this strange new world you're discovering. Yeah. Like say uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, all kinds of crazy looking. Uh, you know, there's green aliens <laughs> yeah. and red aliens, and you know, funny looking people on it. But uh, you know, you've got this like group of of rogues basically, yeah. and people know that and love that that yeah, idea exactly. And I think that's the other thing with story engines that you can play on things. The reason people like certain things is because it touches something culturally or deeper. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with necessarily going with I'm going to write a revenge story or a Motley Crue story or whatever. A buddy cop story. I mean, Toy Story is essentially a buddy, a, exactly a buddy movie. It just is. You wouldn't. You don't think of it like that originally. And I think it's it's a disservice to stories to to 
for as a viewer to simply boil it down to its tropes and its skeleton. Yeah, that takes some some of the magic out of it. I mean, it's it's good in terms of like wanting to uh, analyze it, but yeah. don't feel like you don't necessarily have to analyze everything on the same level. Yeah, yeah. Now, what do you feel about as writers, as a creator, kind of using you know you know when they teach movie writing. They always talk about the th- you have the three acts. You know, act one, and it should be done in ten minutes. You have a twist, and you have to act two, and then the character should you know you should lose, and then you should come back. I mean, those all make good stories. Is it? I guess how how much should we rely on those sort of things? Do you think? I mean, that there's no good answer. It depends, really. But you mean like the timing of stuff, uh, like- or or like the you know there's a you know, there's kind of traditional three-act thing, you know, and mm-hmm. it has to be a low, low point here, and then he comes back, and, and those make good movies, but then sometimes you watch those movies, and you know he's going to be a low point here, and he, yeah. and then the friend's going to say, I don't trust you at all. And It is difficult, because especially movies, they're trying to mass-market them. Usually studios don't want to surprise the audience too much. A bad twist can have bad word of mouth or, you know, something like that. If, if you know, if you lose your audience, yeah. it, you know, that's a, that's a bad thing. I guess in books and, I don't know, some authors seem to be able to get away with it easier than others. I mean, I, I don't think you should always try to do it, but I think that's the reason why sometimes you don't get the unconventional story structure in movies yeah. as much. Yeah, that's true. And I, I mean, because I think I'm always kind of torn because on one hand, obviously those structures work. And that's why people use them because they they're a great way of keeping pulling, you grounded, pulling pulling the yeah. audience along and whatever. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it seems odd to force your story to work that way when it's not. Na- Again, I'm a, kind of an organic writer, so maybe that's the reason I talk like that. Yeah, it may, that of makes course, sense. Uh, you know, I'm never going to be James Patterson, who probably has the the kind of the rhythm down <laughs> better. Well, yeah. How many books does he put out a yeah, year? Exactly. <laughs> so. I don't know. It's just it's a curious it's a curious kind of balancing act, I think, because obviously if you just rely on the story engine, do your work, and then you put you can put, you just put clothes on like oh, we're going to do this buddy cop, but we'll make this guy from the Bronx, and this guy will be from Texas, and then boha, you know, a romantic comedy, and like oh, it'll be an Amish person and a socialite, and we'll be on, you know, right? And yeah, it's different, but then is it actually unique? Unique, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. if you read the back cover copy of some modern books, it's always like. When he was 10, he was in a skating accident. Ever since, he's lost four fingers, and he worked in a UPS factory. And then an alien came down and visited him. And then he fell in love with the owner of a coffee shop. <laughs> what ensued? You know, it's just like they throw all these weird things together, like, and now it's a story. That's interesting. And you're like, <laughs> it's almost too much off. <laughs> well, I mean, but you also don't want to just set your story on autopilot either. Yeah. I mean, so it, it, is, it is a tricky thing. And I think a lot of it does come down to just for, and this comes more from some of our conversations on here than anything. Um, But I feel like if you've uh, gotten to know your characters and your world really well, then hopefully you won't find yourself, you won't be falling into ruts too easily. And I don't think I'm saying this right. Like you won't go necessarily go on autopilot, but hopefully your interest in those characters and in that world will lead to interesting scenarios. And I wonder, you know, the story engines largely like the plots and the character goals and the tropes. They're all built around things that are basically you want to make good conflicts and you have you want to have emotional payoff. Mm-hmm. And I think you can certainly get the and probably different authors at different um, levels. You can f- sense those sorts of things without having to. And those were, I mean, these tropes and these plots weren't invented, then stories started to be written. People right. started writing stories and said, wait a second, what's in common in the ones I like? That's a good point, yeah. So I think 
I think the goal is to maybe get these, you know, if you're having trouble, use them. But the goal is to get to the point where you understand conflict and paying things off and, and the kind of rhythm of interesting storytelling. That's a good point. So even more so than usual, they're not rules, more like guidelines. More like guidelines. <laughs> exactly. Um, because, I mean, they're engines, but they're only engines because... Someone else has already found that they have motion in them. Yeah. It's more like they were discoveries in terms of this is how this works as opposed to some cavalcade of English professors sat down and was like, this is how we're going to dictate that stories must be written. They read Homer and then said, hey, we should <laughs> learn stuff like this. Yeah, there we go. Most art is imitation in yeah. the best possible way. Probably because, you know, just the very act of creating is in itself an imitation of the creator. Yeah. We've said before, all truth goes back to God. So that's where we stand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so these are just things we, yeah, I guess it's good to think of them as discoveries and not rules mm-hmm. or even like, you know, when you say the bare bones, it's like you're making the thing. No, it's not so much that as that we, <laughs> we autopsied other stories and found the bones. <laughs> um, and sometimes you really are autopsying yourself as you're going, you know, yeah. like you have to step back from your sculpture. I mean, some people are like, who was it, Michelangelo, who would look yeah. at a block of granite and then it's like, I can study it for a long time and then he would see the whole thing. Yeah. Very few of us, I think, work that way. Yeah. I think most of us are discovering a story as we are in the process of creating. You it. can do outlines and use these things, but yeah, I, I'm very much built to discover the conflict, you know, and I, 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 I like to think I have a decent sense of conflict and stuff and like to ramp it up, but we'll see. <laughs> so I guess so. Yeah, that's not bad. That's not a bad. Um, I think that's a good summary there. Summary, I, yeah. I really like that as a as a being a d- process of discovery rather than a rule set. And so so yeah, go look what other people have discovered, but don't necessarily rely on them as a the Bible or or you know like a Buzzfeed list. Yeah. Ten things that will make your story awesome. <laughs> it may not. Maybe it will. It might. Yeah. Maybe it won't. Okay. With that said, I think it's time we went on to our soundtrack. Okay, since we've been talking about story engines, that was one of our analogies, I decided to go with Mario Kart. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, namely, Super Mario Kart, the original. And uh, as soon as I thought that's the game I wanted to go with, I knew which band I wanted to use. The one-ups. The one-ups. Yes. Have we not Have we not done a one-up? No, we did Sleigh Ride, didn't we, one time for Christmas? Oh, yes, that's right. Okay. See, I was thinking we hadn't. Oh, well. Anyway. Well, that's a long time ago. It was a long time ago. And I don't think we've done one from Super Mario Kart. I don't think so. Well, so... So here, that's still something new-ish. Uh, this is from their album. They did a whole album on uh, Super Mario Kart, which Good is why album. I thought of it. Yeah, but this is the one song that they from the album that they submitted to Overclocked Remix. The name of it is Funky Mario Circuit, and this is the radio edit of it. Apparently, I think there's a longer version. I think of like the five album, minutes on the album. album yeah. yeah, but this is a little shorter. Perfect podcast length. We should really suggest Maze Dude do more radio edits of his, and you yes. could use more of his. <laughs> I was almost picked one of his today. Yeah, it was like three minutes, but I'm like, I done. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hope you enjoy it. It's kind of jazz funky. Enjoy.
Welcome back to the Satellite of Love. Hello, everyone. Hope you enjoy that um, fun song. Yeah, okay. Cam, if you could kind of come this way a little bit. Uh, I know this is not a video podcast, but you want to make sure you get our good side yeah, here. Yeah, there we go. So, okay. And who knows? The, the, the Mads might enjoy us. That's true. Well, or unenjoy us. Unenjoy us, probably more likely. Yeah. They probably... Excourage us. <laughs> if it gets us off the satellite faster, I don't <laughs> want... work. To, I feel like the people who've been here have been stuck here for a long time. Deep hurting. We, we don't want that. No. But you guys may get this in just a second. <laughs> Deep hurting? Yes. Well, quite possibly. Because guess what? It is time for a new segment. You can blame Nick for this. Which may, which may not last long. We don't know. <laughs> The name of this new segment is Pun Times. All right, so here's what happened. We were watching on YouTube some of the O. Henry pun off um, stuff. So this is a contest that takes place in Texas? I guess in Texas, but and they get a category, and then they go back and forth to get as many puns as they can before someone... And we won't go that long. We'll do no. a couple minutes. We probably won't last. We probably won't that last long. near that long. But we want. We, if you've re- listened to enough of us, we get to do these sessions when we start just punning back and forth. <laughs> so we thought we'd try it as an actual thing. Yeah, we'll see. We, we may be terrible at this. I mean, the this guy, may not even make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we thought we thought it was at least worth a pun for the money. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All <laughs> right. That's kind of how this will work. Yes, this I'm, is awesome. This will be, you will either love this or hate this. <laughs> so but enjoy we, your punishment. Um, <laughs> nice. Okay. Nice. So Natasha picked out some categories from She us just earlier. made them off the top of her head and here, roll. Okay, okay. So we will randomly choose one. Choose a category and then we'll go back here. and forth. And number is number five. five. Number five is book titles. Book titles? Book titles. Oh, man. I, I kind of wish this category was just gone with the wind. <laughs> See, that is that is fabulous. Um, um, you know, I do much better at this. I had a good foundation. I don't know. That's, I think that's just kind of the trouble on the horizon. <laughs> Double points for you. <laughs> Double points for you. Um, so my son was asking me about, you know, tornadoes and stuff. And I said, you know, I said, look right there. That's the eye of the storm. He's like, well, what do you call it in a death storm? We said, well, that's the eye of the world. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know. I was trying. <laughs> well, what, what was the rule of the pun off? It, it, it doesn't have to be funny. It just has it to has make. To, it just has to work. It just has to work. It just has to work. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I feel I really feel though for the audience listening to this, especially all our French li- listeners, they're going to be les miserables. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out how to make a pun off of them, not just ha- have it end that way. Because, you know, you know, one time, I don't gamble very often, but I was, I was in the casino, and normally for this one, I don't even run a game. You throw one dice, and you win or lose, depending on the number. But then you, you kind of do double nothing. And so I ran two dice, but with a, a pair of dice, uh, I, lo- uh, I messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> You, but anyways, my, my paradise lost. Uh, okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you, you got it out. I got it out. <laughs> yes. So you know what you do when you make, you make an, uh, a, uh, an egg breakfast thing with a lot of um, pork, right? I don't know what. It's a hamlet. Uh, congratulations. You, you may think the problem with this game is even if you, even if you think you win, you're just a lord of the flies. <laughs> 
See, I'm not sure. I'm not sure my puns are really making sense. I'm just coming up with the first using the first word of something and, and throwing it out. Like your paradise actually like is a play on words. It, yeah. Well, that one was. It didn't deliver very well. But um, we'll have to get better at this. I think. Yeah. It, it might need some practice. It might need some practice. I mean, obviously, the magic of editing will make this all sound much cleverer than it actually is. But. Sometimes, you know, if you see a statue, you ever seen those statues like, like the middle of the city in the plaza and the water be coming out of them? Well, normally you play down, my kids play down the feet in the water, but I, I like to watch water come out of the fountainhead. So, and the thing is really nice then if, um, uh, my Renny's friend, um, she didn't like getting wet, so Anne ran away from it. <laughs> okay. But you, seriously though, you know, a good activity that you could do with your kids though, you know, you go to, there's a college just over, not too far from here, over in South Bend. Yeah. You could have a nice picnic out over there and have lunch back in Notre Dame. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the best one so far. Lunch back in Notre Dame. Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to follow that one up. <laughs> I, I'm done. I, I think, I'm you, done. I think you're okay. done. Okay. So, we'll, we'll, audience, you can tell us whether we'll you want us to try this again or not. Sometimes. Yeah, that was that was kind of rough. I mean, well, the, I feel like we got we got a couple decent ones. We kind of go. It's funny though. You you start thinking of book titles and like this doesn't seem like it should be hard, but all of a sudden you be like, uh, just blank. I don't work well. And pressure like or, or during the week, I'm like, oh, if we do this category, I can come with like I had like five of them real quick when I'm driving around and I'm here. I'm like. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. So no, we'll we'll see. We might give that another try. Yeah. We'll we'll see. Anyways. Okay. So based on how that section went, I'm not sure. We'll we'll see how it goes. We've we've done. We've okay. We've actually done this segment before, but we've only done it once, and that is live brainstorming. We don't really have a jingle for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So because we're talking story engines, we have in front of us five piles of. Bits no. and pieces. Bits and pieces. We have a pile of plots, like versus man versus man, man versus whatever. A pile versus kind of character, stereotypical characters. Mm-hmm. Um, one of stereotypical tropes. Uh, we'll see how stereotypical. I think mine, I tried well, to be maybe a little too creative with them. So well, we'll see. that's fine. It'll be make it fun. Um, one of MacGuffins. And one of uh, character motivations. Yes. So we're going to just... Pick them at random and see, see what happens. See and, what, and, you know, obviously these are just the bare bones, no pun intended, this time. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure any pun intended might work in the last one, but. <laughs> um, but, I mean, obviously we can build, we can embellish on these, which is kind of the whole idea. You yeah. know, we'll, we'll come up with some random elements, throw them together, and then we'll embellish. Yes. So, okay. So, should we start with a character then? Sure. Okay. So, our first character is a talking dog. A talking dog. Oh, this is a cartoon then. Or, well, not necessarily. It could be one old Disney sort of deal. Yeah, possibly. Oh, or, you know, one of these modern, like, CGI type characters. Yeah, that's one thing. Okay. It might depend on. So, so should we go with uh, plot first or motivation to f- follow that? Let's do plot first. What's, where are my plots? Is my okay. plots I think. Versus machine. Oh. So it's a talking dog. Okay, well, actually, we need to know a little bit more about this dog. So, okay, so this uh, dog's motivation is to become powerful and secure. Powerful and secure. So, so there um, must be some sort of machine that it maybe it's a futuristic, like you know, one of these futuristic DreamWorks sort of, you know, like it's the automated pound or something. It's like Chicken Run, but like sci-fi. Oh, okay, I could see that. I mean, the other option is if. Like maybe real dogs are being replaced by robotic dogs, and oh. like, and then like you know, so like canines. Yeah, ba- basically. No pun intended. What? No, no. Canine's a pun. Canine. 
Canine. From the dog. Oh, I see. That's the name of the dog. That's the, the robotic dog. The ro- yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we want a MacGuffin or we want a trope? Let's do the MacGuffin. Maybe maybe there's something, because we have got a couple different options for what this talking dog is after um, against the machine. The ultimate weapon. Oh, wow. Maybe he gets secured by shutting down. There's an ultimate weapon that can shut down. Is is he one? Oh, so he's wanting the ultimate weapon. Well, both is MacGuffin. Both, everyone wants an ultimate weapon. So maybe, so maybe like the the talking dog is against part of a, a group against talking cats. Is that a cats versus dog type thing? But we got versus machine. Well, okay, that's true. But I mean, if they're both, hmm, that's a good point. Because my well, first maybe thought he's was a, maybe he, maybe he's like he crash landed on a planet. Like he was like you know one of the dogs put into space. Oh, and it's all okay. robots there. Oh, nice. And the robots are all, like me. There's two tribes of robots fighting for the ultimate weapon. And he's trying to get it instead. Uh huh. Interesting. So, wow, this got really crazy. So let's see our trope. Yeah, then. what's our trope here? Employer's slash friend is actually the bad guy. Oh wow. So okay. So <laughs> so the dog wasn't alone in the spaceship because I, I the dog in the spaceship yeah, thing is, yeah. is really cool. So there were two dogs in the spaceship. Maybe like a boy dog, girl dog. Well, do you want a dog or do you want like his like his astronaut friend, oh. like his owner? Oh, and then his owner ends up being on the side of the machines. Oh, does the owner get brainwashed or was he, uh, does he... He thinks it's best for... It's best to give up individuality. Well, because he's just a dog. (laughs) Okay, so he's, so he's going to donate his dog to science. Something, maybe. Is that what the machine wants? (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe, maybe the machine has this idea of like absolute purity and, you know, the dog, dogs are messy. I mean... That's true. So... And, and you know, so he, he... he was a real friend, but at the end he's like, well, no, really, these guys are right. You're just a dog. He betrays him. Betrays uh, him right in, after in the, the dog act. brings him. The dog fetches the ultimate weapon finally. Uh-huh. Brings it to his master. His master, like, thank you, and he takes the weapon. Oh. He's like, now I can give this to my robot masters. Oh, and then so then the ro- the dog has to defeat both the robot and his former master. And then his, his former master at some point would probably say, I'm sorry, or you uh-huh. were right, dog, or, right. you know. Oh, man, this is very tragic, but I, I, it's, I'm liking it. Yeah, there we go. I, I, you, you can make something out of that. Yeah, definitely. Not actually bad from such vague things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that we just kind of threw together. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that there's our first story. Okay. That was fun. Let's, uh, okay, next character is we have got a chatty teenage girl. Oh, all right. So Everyone loves that. That's a good good thing right there. There's That's always fun. And her goal is to protect society. Prote- <laughs> nice. Yes. <laughs> so it's like, um, it's like Nancy, Nancy Drew. Well, yeah, I she's not chatty. So. I, I think it's chatty. No. no, but like a, like a more modern, um, clue, is it clue? Clueless. Clueless. <laughs> yeah. Clueless or, sort of not Nancy Drew. Like all hell, like, like yeah, uh, Veronica yeah. Mars. Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess it depends also like on how old your teenage girl is. If she's That's like true. the, the lore and sort of like that girl from, uh, Runaways. The, okay. Yeah. The comic book series. Yeah. Where yeah. she just kind of, she's, hey, how you doing? What are you doing? Mystery and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So it depends. You need a plot for this. Yeah. And that might determine. So he's trying to protect society, but... Um, versus man. Okay, well that's okay. That's good for you know that's, society. I mean, that, that's that's very broad. It's one of the most broad, broad categories. Yeah. So I think we need to know what the MacGuffin is. The MacGuffin is ancient location. Oh wow! So uh, like a young Indiana Jones girl here, maybe. Yeah, like a. But if you're protecting society, is like if you know it's like Atlantis or a or oh, you know some point. sort of. A, but then it must be. Dangerous, or maybe the man she's against, or woman, I mean, uh-huh. could be one to use the power of Atlantis 
to make her own product line that would brainwash people. <laughs> it, or like, it, like, yeah, like some sort of like designer clothes or lipstick or something that would control people that made out of Ooh, some sort of thing from the ancient civilization of Atlantis. That that she that had, she had stolen from the ancient civilization. Or she wanted to, they got to get there. You know, they're both, ra- it's MacGuffin, so they're both racing to get there. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. I, I like where that's going. Okay. Okay, and now, what's what's our trope? I mean, we've got a lot. Of, <laughs> the trope is kind of a vague term. Yeah. It's, it's just like one other Bumbling element. sidekick. <laughs> Now that's interesting because we've already got a chatty teenage girl, and you think then that we need you need the awkward silent boyfriend, like but they don't know their boyfriend girlfriend. It's just like the good friend. Okay, the guy that he's kind of always but, stumbling. But over he himself. talks about as much as Chrono in Chrono Trigger. Like he doesn't <laughs> talk at all. So he's like the he's like the silent he's like the um the teller of Ben Penn Teller. Okay, interesting. So she's chatty, talking to him all the time. She does not. He just not. I feel her. like this would make a great animated show. This would, yeah. Like you know, something for on WB or, or something, something like, like that. Uh, I could see like a Spy kid sort of. Yeah, yeah. Deal. Like they all have their own little cool little gadgets that she's running around with. Maybe we should write for Hollywood. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> It's really, it's pretty easy, honestly. Why like, don't I make my stories this way normally? I'm pretty sure this is how it, it actually works, <laughs> to be honest. Um, although they probably have a dartboard, not necessarily slips of paper. So like we have we, seven <laughs> of each, of every category, we have seven. The way, rate we're going, we could just yeah. see what we end up with. Yeah, we just fly through a whole bunch of these. I mean, this is this is way easier than your, uh, your fancy pants uh, music thing. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so we've got a 64-year-old man. Okay. Who, when I'm 64... I'm not sure why 64 well, was the number a I went with. Why not? Okay. And his goal is to become a star. Become a star? Yes. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so let's see his plot, though. What is he, he's against society. Well, he's 64 and trying to become a star, so I mean... <laughs> this, seems, this is quite the contradiction. Is it, no, it's an ageist sort of thing. He's versus society. Society uh, is a okay. one of 64 old... Guy being, being to be a, a star, and maybe he needs to be a star something that's not normal. You know, it's like, like those sports movies where, like, you can't do that. Okay. And then you can. Maybe you know. maybe he's a uh, what's an unusual instrument to play, like a banjo or a- sure, yeah. So this is like one of those uh, one of those feel good Disney kind of sport event movie. You know, mm-hmm. like he's like banjo king, or something <laughs> like that. No, he's, so so does he go to like a, a talent like show? Like well, okay, that's oh, the well wait. Well, like either that, like something like that, or maybe something like you know America's Got Talent type thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, in the in the first act, he has to be shot down, yeah, yeah. You know, or something. But okay, let's find the MacGuffin. Crucial evidence. Hmm. Maybe, maybe while he's trying to become a star, maybe there's some evidence out there that the votes were rigged. Uh, oh, maybe on the talent show because they were. You know, he goes to like a everyone's got talent sort of thing, but they're like, well, we can't. America doesn't really want you. Mm. So, but he's he's convinced that people did want him, right? Right. But you know, the culture dictates that he shouldn't, or at least the people's perception of society of of the elite Hollywood society. It's interesting. There's not very. Again, this is unfortunate. One uh, going against what we were just saying about Hollywood coming up with plots this way. I can't think of really any story, or very few stories that are about like an old person like this that would have. Most time when they do stories about senior citizens, it's in this very kind of mellow sort of. Unless it's up. Yeah, unless it's up. I mean, business wise, it makes sense. If you're 
story features older characters, you're going to appeal to an older yeah. audience. But wouldn't it be interesting to see more stories like Up, yeah. where like the uh, motivation is just as interesting to young people as it would be might be to older Have people? Have you ever watched uh, what was that? Um, Secondhand Lions. I've heard of that. I don't That's think a, I've ever seen it. Yeah, it's a it's about two old guys, but they're just telling stories and trying to do great things again, and uh-huh. it's interesting. Anyways, okay, so we need our MacGuffin though, right? Oh no, we, that was the evidence. Oh yeah, yeah. So we need so the, our, trope. the trope. That's the one thing we haven't heard in this scenario. Father yet. thought he wasn't good enough. Oh. Well, that plays right into this. It really does. I mean, the the father basically fed into the same sort of stories. That society was telling him, yeah, like, that you can't be a banjo player. No, no one likes banjo players. That's that's so 1950s or whatever. If you're not a frog, you can't play the banjo. <laughs> so, uh, so he's he's gonna prove finally prove his dad wrong after living this very disappointing life. He's gonna become a nationally known banjo player. Yeah. Now, is his dad still alive or not? Probably at this point. No, no. probably probably act right near the right before act three like his dad sick the whole time and passes away and then he plays the last banjo song for his father oh that's Man, beautiful that's I, beautiful I could write, yeah we got it <laughs> we got it all right nailed it <laughs> all right. nailed it okay washed up cowboy Ooh, yeah who is out for revenge for a tragic accident <laughs> these can't come any better okay <laughs> and then our, our our plot then is versus time hmm Oh man, I'm not. Hmm. Interesting. So, so he, he's revenge for a tragic accident. Yeah, that that's. I guess they should say that's his motivation. Okay. Um, but he's he's washed up. So the accident may not have, may have been completely well accident. So it, you know, not anyone's fault. But he probably blames someone for losing a loved one or you know car. Well, maybe he you know maybe it's one of those things where he's going to lose the ranch and. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. So many days he's a washed up cowboy. You know, uh, maybe right. the end of the era. What was that movie? I think. Um, Kim Costner directed about all the giant fields being fenced in and the rangers, the ranchers were dying off because they were fencing everything. It was, not, about, it was about 10 years ago. Yeah, I'm not sure, but it sounds like something Kevin Costner would be in. Yeah. Okay. See, what do then, we have next? Um, our trope is hidden power. <laughs> <laughs> this okay. got a little strange all of a sudden. That took, that took the story in a very different turn than I was expecting. Okay, so this is this is probably a superhero story. Then. Well, what about this? What if okay, because you got Wash of Cowboy. What if he's been given, you know, it's a passing away of the old west. Okay, it's like the end of the era, uh-huh. and he's been given some last power, some sort of spiritual power from a Native American. Oh, and he has a yeah. limited amount of time to make that work before. Before, or I don't know if that's limited or whether the whole end of the era is enough versus time. Hmm, I don't know the. It's a different. It's Buffalo a different writer. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, it's a different interpretation of versus time than I was. I mean, versus time. Yeah, you have a limited time span versus time is in. That's almost like, like a society thing. Like, that's true too. Yeah. If, yeah. if the time there may be a time limit on his on the on the power that was hidden in the land or in the. Oh, so he only has the power for a limited time, or he yeah, has maybe. it for like limited spurts. Like maybe it's a super oh. superhero power that like needs recharging or whatever. Yeah. Or like, or maybe here we go. Maybe it's only good at night. Now there we go. Like so it's some sort of so like there's a that's the time. Buffalo like, Zorro. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm picturing a guy in buckskins riding a buffalo <laughs> and one of those and a rapier basically. <laughs> that would be awesome. All right, wait, we still need our um, trope. Oh no, the no, trope was, was the power. We need a MacGuffin. Oh, we forgot about the MacGuffin, yes. 
um, inheritance. Oh, now that goes back to the saving the ranch type yeah. of thing, though. Well, maybe he's looking for revenge. We forgot about that. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was revenge against some family member who's taken... No, it was revenge for an accident, though, right? Yeah, that was at least that was the original hmm. concept, which is tricky. It would be easier if it was like... You know, a purposeful accident to try to steal the ranch. It could or be whatever. an accident. Air quotes you guys can't see. We can we can add that. Um, this one's a little rougher. Yeah, we, the, some of the elements are a little harder to piece together <laughs> here. I mean, the idea of of a washed up cowboy who suddenly develops powers that he has to race against time to use. That's I think good. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, the race against time is the inheritance at you know you know like it passes for good. To this other guy. Oh, okay. After you know midnight on such and such a day, so he has to yeah he, get his rev- maybe or maybe well, maybe like he's required to like finish a monument or something. Yeah, that sounds kind of like lame. crazy horse. Yeah, it's never getting finished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that would be crazy. Um. Don't look a stone horse in the mouth. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm lost to this one. Okay, well. We keep this up until we're hoarse from talking. We yeah. should probably move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you know, there's some interesting ideas. There's there. A, yeah, I th- we could get something there, but, but we will get through all. We, of yeah, we gotta we gotta hurry up. I think um, makeup saleswoman. Oh, interesting. So like a Mary Kay lady, yeah. I think, who wants to reconcile with a family member. Oh, this is this gotta be some sort of drama slash romantic comedy coming up. Yeah, I think so. Okay, and then our, our plot is versus fate or God. <laughs> comedy we're comedy gold right now I, I i love how we're like oh we're going along this track and then we pull something that completely derails it that's awesome as is it should be on the show um it's providence <laughs> okay so reconciling with a family member but versus god so i think like maybe this like in one of these like things just don't go right like murphy's law sort of right right thing like she she wants to get her family together but she kind of blames god for it falling apart in the first place when I think just fate constantly brings, you know, I think you play comedy where it's like she feels like she's cursed. Like every time she tries to do something, it makes it worse. Okay, yeah. You know, some sort of that sort of like. That's versus the fate. And maybe sort of maybe thing, we yeah. actually have a character, you know, like some sort of, you know, like uh, what was that called? Uh, Almighty, uh, Bruce Almighty. Oh, some yeah. sort of like goddish Loki figure there that's just like. Like, just, like, laughing at her, like, you'll never work, you know, messing her up all the time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, so. Which, the Bruce Almighty, the Morgan Freeman was more of a, hey, maybe you should try this Yeah, this would have to be more of the other side, but you're yeah. stopping. Right, right, because you're, yeah, trickster god. Okay, here's the MacGuffin. <laughs> you, you look like this is going to throw us for a loop. Buried treasure. Buried, <laughs> buried treasure, okay. But like, it wouldn't have to be pirate treasure. It could be, like. A, a bootlegger's treasure, maybe. Yeah, like. Some sort of flea market. Maybe. Something from like 100 years ago. But why is she trying to get it? Maybe she's trying to, maybe to reconcile with her mom. Is that who she's trying to reconcile with? Just a family, family member. member. Yeah. Sister mom, something like that. Not a sister mom. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like there's some, some priceless artifact, like, like some, like, you know, antique oh, okay. roadshow sort of stuff. Or a family heirloom that's, that that got sold off and then she's hunting it down like a road trip across the country okay, trying to I get Okay, I like it. that. And she feels like this will bring the family back together if they have this this uh, link to their past. And, the, and then they're just constantly, things happen, like just fate just constantly gets in the way of... <laughs> they get sniped on eBay or... <laughs> yeah, like and she tracks it like all across the country. Cool, okay. N- nice, nice recovery there. What's, <laughs> what's our trope? Our trope is long lost relative. Oh, 
So maybe at the end, the person who ends up with the heirloom is another relative. Interesting. Or maybe, or maybe there is a big split in the family because of this artifact. Or maybe, or oh, everyone get a little crazy. Maybe the the guy, supernatural figure, that shows up and taunts her is the image of some long-lost relative who was also cursed. Oh, You know, if you okay. want to go that crazy way. <laughs> that, that could work. Because the other thing I was thinking you of... the twist then. Yeah, then it's a twist. I, I like that because that fits in better with the... Uh, we the trope that, idea. Yeah, the, the trope we had lost. But then first. you could learn from her, from the long-lost relative, once you figure this out, how to reconcile with your mother has nothing to do with the MacGuffin, <laughs> which they never get back. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. we got to rush through okay. these because we we're running. Super, yeah, it would have taken a while. Yeah. So we could combine some of these. This would, oh, t- two of all of these. Well, yes. at least two of the plots you can throw. I'm not sure two MacGuffins going to work. Oh, I've got, I've got an extra character. Okay. So do you want to just do all three of them? Sure. Do it. Okay. So, well, this will be interesting. <laughs> the president, a scientist, <laughs> and an alien war refugee. <laughs> that writes itself. <laughs> They 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 just have two goals: live the American dream. <laughs> <laughs> the war refugee, right? The alien refugee. What's yeah, the probably. American dream? And humiliate the enemy. Wow, <laughs> so those do- are perfect. <laughs> okay, so our, our our we are versus self and versus nature. Uh, hmm. Um. Okay, that's that throws things off a lot. That that really does. I okay, mean, the war refugee might versus himself, doubt and and, yeah, and, all that, and kind of stuff. that sort of stuff. Versus nature, that, that's a hard one to reconcile with. Humiliate the enemy, unless unless maybe these three characters aren't necessarily working together. Well, that could be. Like may, may, maybe it's like some end times event, right? Like 2012 sort of movie. Okay, and the scientist is president. Or trying to get back to living the American dream among this post-apocalyptic thing, mm-hmm. and the war refugee is wants to go back. To, wants to beat up the American. I mean, oh, he's trying. He, he's the one who wants to humiliate the enemy. It's yeah. not necessarily. Maybe he's the war refugee is a bad guy. I mean, yeah. he, you think refugee? Oh, poor guy. But maybe he's actually a twist. Maybe he wants to humiliate. And maybe the, maybe the war between is a, she's a war. The war between the humans and the aliens. What causes massive nature? Event okay, like the nature sort of rebels against yeah. it, or either that, or there, yeah, there's like some sort of you know, virus or something. Or okay, what's our MacGuffin for this? That might. Uh, oh, here we go. They work together. Okay, yeah, they're virus vaccine. Okay, so that can be our that goes to the nature, yeah, problem. and government secrets. Oh, so I mean, they could almost be the same thing. If yeah, you pretty to. practically, yeah. And then our tropes are damsel in distress. Well, if if you got a post-apocalyptic thing, you can fit that in just An about alien anywhere. Damsel or a well, it depends on who's human. the protagonist here. Are we rooting for the humans or are we rooting for the Normally, alien? Normally, you're going to root for the humans. Yeah, but it'd be a really weird. Be kind of interesting. It would be interesting. I mean, you'd really have to establish well the what the war between the humans and aliens was about, and you know if the if they deserve to lose and well, I feel like like district nine, I can't remember, but it seems like you felt better. You wanted, you decided with the aliens more than the humans. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then the master dies. Oh. So the president, I think should die. Oh, okay. At the beginning, the scientist or is the scientist. Yeah. Scientist and president takes over. Oh, he as president yeah. or at least the, the goals of the president, like what the president oh, was trying okay. to get done right before I got gotcha. you died. Oh, okay. 
Interesting. Yeah. So, it's a, so it's a banana of the president. This would almost make a better cool. like mini series than a movie. I yeah, think. I I can see that because you have this this kind of long term back and forth. Yeah. Did you ever see? Because I don't have cable, I, I probably couldn't have watched it even if I wanted to. But the show that J- Josh Holloway was doing with the Colony. Yeah, the I didn't colony. have a chance to watch it. Yeah. I, I was really I was really it intrigued by that. Yeah. The, the one basically where there's a. I think the aliens have taken over or something. You're probably just basically living their, in their ghetto camp, basically. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, not quite. I think they sort of compared it to like oh, the French resistance and within a sci-fi setting. Yeah. Which, hey, that sounds like a really interesting sounds TV show. Yeah. But anyway, um, all, all right. right. So we need to wrap this up. But that was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And honestly, that's probably not the way you normally come up with story ideas, which is totally fine. It's not a bad idea, to, you know, if you just get brain flowing. I mean, yeah. then. You know, there might be something in there, but like, oh, I would really like to do that. I mean, you could make a story out of all of them, but whether you really feel like you like, right? I mean, when we did we did a pulp fiction project that one time where we purposely said we want to write a story in such and such genre, yeah, and then we came with some really neat stuff, yeah. So I mean, it's it's fun to have to work within some of those ideas like that, yeah. But we have to be signing off here. So, uh, but don't forget if you would like to leave us a comment, let us know how you felt about uh, the pun off idea. Yeah, the the um, pun times for everyone. Yeah, hopefully it was pun times for you. Um, <laughs> we need. We, yeah, we might have to self pick our category next time <laughs> until we get better at it. Yeah, yeah maybe we'll we'll see. We'll tweak yeah. it. But certainly let us know what how, how you felt about this episode. You yeah. can leave us a comment at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. See us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, anywhere good podcasts are sold. <laughs> or downloaded. Downloaded, yes. Anyways, um, I think they're about right. Well, they're in the other room over there. They're they're playing some sort of weird song about idiots and control. Yeah. Idiot control now. I, I I, the, the lyrics seem like gibberish to me, but anyway. Maybe you you should uh, introduce your own soundtrack that would yes. probably be better than this. Um, <laughs> I tried to pick something different. I went. I thought kind of the bare bones of a lot of games is fighting, is the boss or the battles, and so I picked a game from Gunstar Heroes, which I've never played. The name is Nice Legs. I don't know why, <laughs> and it's remixed by Sir, Sir Jordanius, and it's fun. They call it kind of a like spyish. People say it sounds like the seatbelts. Um, who did Cowboy Bebop's um, oh, music? Okay. I can I can kind of see that, but it's it's quite enjoyable. So nice, enjoy. Nice legs. That's the name of it. Yes. Okay. Cool. Nice legs. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, wow. hope hope you enjoy that. Until next time, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye bye. Oh, we got movie sign. <laughs>
Maybe we should pause for baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the right word. It's like, it's like oh, live from the Phoenix and Fur haunted house. <laughs> the floating baby head. <laughs> floating baby head. Did you want to be on the podcast? <laughs> Big smile there. All right. Nice. Someday, Mercy. So, uh, Joel, how'd you like the pun off? It stinks.